The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. A couple weeks ago, we started our new uh, concept, our new theme for the year, which is called 2000 AD, the year of our Lord. Anno Domini uh, means the year of our Lord. And so we're spending the whole year talking about uh, the person of Jesus. And the packaging for this, the framework that we're doing with this, is imagining encountering Jesus from the perspective of a first century Jewish person. Uh, imagine that we are one of the 12, okay, the 12 disciples who encountered Jesus and responded to him. Imagine what it would have been like to be one of the 12. That's kind of the overall theme for the year. I saw a uh, documentary on first century Palestine a number of years ago. Uh, it was called The Life of Brian. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with this. It's not really a, a documentary fully, but uh, it's a very strange and quirky Monty Python movie. Uh, it's very weird, very strange, and the concept is that these that these people in first century Jerusalem uh, believe that this guy named Brian is the Messiah. And so they're trying to convince him of that. They're following him around and Brian said, I'm not the Messiah. It's really weird. That's where the scene came from a couple weeks ago where I talked about, uh, what did Jesus say? Blessed all the cheesemakers. That comes from that uh, very strange movie. If you don't like British humor, run away from that movie. But, uh, but it's, uh, it's fun. So uh, there is an element of truth, however, in that movie, and that has to do with, at that time, they were so eager and hoping for uh, the king of kings to come. They so believed in this, that this would happen, that uh, there were a number of uh, messianic uh, persons, either people who were claiming to be the Messiah, or people who were uh, being identified as, this might be the one, this might be the one. And so a very relevant question from their perspective, from the perspective of the 12 is, is how do we know that Jesus is the one? How would we know that Brian is not the one and Jesus is the one? And in our world, as we're wrestling with truths and sifting through all the information that we're getting, getting how do we know that Jesus is the one. That's the question we're going after today. In fact, that is a question that a guy named John the Baptist asks in the New Testament. And it's his story that we're looking at this morning. John the Baptist, uh, uh, his mother was first cousins with Mary, the mother of Jesus. So John and Jesus were second cousins. Uh, John the Baptist is uh, has kind of have, has a reputation of being a little bit of a strange man. He wandered around in the wilderness. He ate locusts. He uh, wore camel's hair. Uh, he uh, preached uh, repentance uh, passionately in a unique way. He definitely stood out. He also denounced the king of the region, Herod, which is a risky thing to do. Uh, if John the Baptist was your second cousin. He perhaps would be someone, uh, you know, lowest on your list as far as who to invite for Christmas. So just a little bit of, of, a, of a strange individual. But he had tremendous influence on those who heard him 
And we're going to take a look at his story in Luke chapter 3. I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 3. The New Testament begins with the first, uh, with the four versions of the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in that third book, Luke, in chapter 3 of that book. I'm going to start reading in verse 15. Luke 3, verse 15. Again, John the Baptist had influence with those around him. Verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. I think that's fascinating in light of how uh, Jesus and John both did not look like what they were expecting in a Messiah, that they were so excited and eager for this Messiah to come that they thought maybe John is the one. And it's very reasonable that they were kind of expecting him at some point to just uh, 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 remove his disguise and reveal who he really was, kind of like Jasmine in the marketplace kind of thing. Perhaps they were expecting him to do that. Verse 16, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. A couple things. First of all here, John knows who he is. John instantly says, I am not the Christ. Make no mistake about this. That is not me. He jumps right onto that. If there's ever an opportunity for somebody to start to kind of bask in their awesomeness. It might have been John. He had people around him saying, wow, you're amazing, you're amazing. We want to hear more from you, 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 you. And he says, it's not me. Uh, elsewhere in the book of John, he says, I must decrease so that he, Jesus, must increase. John knew who he was. He wasn't caught up in, in, uh, in fame or in uh, attention being on him. He did not have a Messiah complex. Have you ever heard that phrase? He did not struggle with that. Second thing that we see in the, the second verse that I, that I just read there is, uh, is sort of another hint of what they would have been expecting in terms of this Messiah. Because John is saying, yeah, here I am, but the one who is to come? I mean, imagine what they would have pictured the, the real Messiah to look like based on John's description here. He would have been powerful, Mighty, John says, he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's very unlikely that these 12 disciples, that the other uh, Jews, first century Jews listening to all this and, 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 and uh, wrestling with all this, it's unlikely that they would have assumed that the Messiah, the real one, the one that John was preparing the way for, would be a commoner like John the Baptist, which again makes them... Um, in many ways unprepared for the Jesus who showed up as a simple carpenter. Well, John ended up stepping on a few too many toes, and he was imprisoned by King Herod. And uh, uh, jump to chapter 7. Our story kind of uh, moves, it talks a lot about Jesus in, those, uh, in the chapters in between here. And then in chapter 7, we return to the story of John the Baptist. 
Let's see, chapter 7, verse uh, 18. uh, John the Baptist is in prison here. Chapter 7, verse 18. John's disciples told him about all these things, and uh, that's what we see in the chapters prior to this, are the things that Jesus had done, the miracles, etc., Calling two of them, John calls two of his disciples, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? That's a pretty important question. Are you the one? Are you the one? The one. If I'm going to wrap my whole life around this, if I'm going to uh, preach about this, this is John the Baptist saying, if I'm going to uh, give my life for this, if I'm going to be imprisoned for this, if I'm going to wrap my eternity around all this, I need to know if you're the one. I need to have the answer to this question. Regardless of your spiritual journey, we can all relate to that question in terms of the dating process. I mean, that's what we do in the dating process. That's what the dating process is. As we say, are you the one or should I expect someone else better? That's, that's basically what the dating process is. You're pretty good. There's, a, there's pros and cons to this whole thing. I'm trying to imagine if there's someone around the corner who might be a little bit better. That's what cold feet are all about. It's just the imagining that maybe there is someone better. I... Uh, uh, when I met my wife, Tammy, I was teaching at a, at a college in Kenya, Africa, uh, in, in the summer of 1996. And she and her mom came down to that school uh, for a two-week uh, uh, mission trip while I was there. And that's where we, that's where we first met. It's kind of interesting story. Uh, I thought she was a little girl because she had pigtails. Uh, and, uh, and she thought I was a local uh, uh, African, uh, because I spoke Swahili. I had been there for a while. I was driving, and I, I spoke a little bit of Swahili. And, and so uh, one of her, her first question to me was, uh, have you ever been to America? Which I'll regret for the rest of my life that I didn't say, no, but, but I didn't. But uh, we met there in Kenya, and she was dating at the time a guy named James. And at one point in our conversations, because uh, we were starting to spend some time together and really enjoy one another, and at one point in the conversation, she referred to him, one time, referred to him as the best available. <laughs> Big mistake. <laughs> See, because I was getting smitten with this uh, uh, beautiful young lady. And so uh, I wanted to, uh, to help her question whether or not he was the one, <laughs> if you will. And so what I would do is I would come up to her, kind of sneak up on her, and I would, just, I would just put her words back into her face. She'd be painting or, or, or worshiping or whatever she's doing. I'd kind of lean in and just go, best available? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And so I would just kind of poke that in, poke that in, poke that in. And, uh, and that made her so mad. It just really made her so mad. It's a great courting technique uh, that I learned. Make her mad enough. And so my hope was to let her know maybe I'm the one. And in the end, of course, I won. Uh, but but it's, it's, it's such an important, it's such kind of the question in the dating process is, are you the one? 
or should I be waiting for somebody else? And the, and the antes go up even higher when it comes to uh, the Messiah. Are you the one, or should I be waiting for somebody else? Maybe uh, some of you have been a follower of Christ for a long time, and that has been your journey for quite some time, but the doubt, it still comes in. Maybe right now you're at a place of surprisingly high doubt, despite your many years of following Christ. Maybe... Um, Maybe right now you feel imprisoned emotionally or relationally or spiritually in a way that John did here in this moment. Maybe you feel imprisoned and, and you're maybe asking uh, uh, in ways that you haven't asked in a while, Jesus, are you really the one? Are you really the one? Or is there something else that perhaps is more powerful than you? Because I'm not kind of getting out of the thing that I'm stuck in. Maybe there's something else that's more powerful than you. Maybe there's some kind of painkiller or some kind of addiction or just kind of avoiding the whole thing or even contemplating kind of taking your own life and just finishing the whole thing. Maybe something like that is more powerful than you, Jesus. Do you really believe that something else is more powerful than Christ as a way to, to, to get yourself out of your situation, or do you believe that he is the one? In your heart of hearts, Jesus, are you the one? Or should I be going after something else? It's a very important question. It's a very important question. And it comes from the mouth of John the Baptist, who had a different circumstance that we had. Um, John and his disciples and the 12 uh, uh, apostles and the first, first century Jews, they all came at this situation in first century Palestine with an assumption, an assumption that there was a Messiah coming. They assumed that the Messiah was coming, which led to this powerful question, are you the one? You can read in this question the assumption that a Messiah is coming. Are you the one? There's assuming that there is a one. Are you the one? See, we don't have that assumption. We don't start with that assumption. We don't start believing that there is a Messiah, and then our quest in life is trying to figure out who is that Messiah. We start now with a much more of a blank slate. That's why spirituality can be so hard for us. And our kids start with, with a blank slate, and there's so many different options. We don't start with this assumption there is a God who uh, is uh, having a Messiah who will one day come and redeem the world. They had that assumption, which led to the driving question, are you the one? What's your driving question? Again, we have a different assumption here in, in our century What's your driving question? What is at the core of your faith? What question is at the core of your faith belief? Is the question at the core of your faith journey, what will happen when I die? That's a reasonable question. Or maybe a question is, what is the most logical plan for this whole thing? Or maybe a core of your question is, what is the most fair what is fair? Because I can't believe in anything that's not fair. So I've got to know what is fair. What is your core question? I grew up in Edmonton, Canada, and I grew up in a home that was right across the street from a little Church of God church. 
And uh, so that was the church that um, my parents sent me to uh, on Sunday mornings, and, uh, and that's where I learned about Jesus. And, and I didn't know that there were any kind of different churches. I, I just, it was a church. That's where you learned about God, and that's, in fact, where I learned about Christ. I had a crisis of faith uh, the week before I was baptized, uh, around about uh, age 18. I was 18. And the week before I was baptized, the pastor asked me, a very provocative question. He said, Alan, if you had uh, been brought up right across the street from a Muslim mosque, would you be Muslim? That was a earth-shattering question for me. That was a faith-shaking question for me. And what it did is it led me to my question. It led me to the question that has been my faith question for my whole life. And my question is, what is the true story? That's that's my faith question. What is the true story of humanity? Uh, There have been many extraordinary things in the history of humanity. Things that we read about in history and from many different perspectives. And there are things that are are exaggerated. And there are uh, things that are uh, absolutely factual. And things that are kind of opinions of others. Many things that have happened throughout human history. But my faith question is, what, is, what is the true story? I mean, if the true story is that there is a God and we as humans are separated from that God because of our imperfection, because of our sin, and uh, that God wants to have a restored relationship with us, and the way that that happened, it happens is through the person and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If that's the story, then that's what I want to wrap my life around. I want to know what the story is. In fact, that's where the whole shebang concept comes from. For those of you who've been with us for a while, for the past uh, two years, we've been talking about the whole shebang, the grand overall story of God. What is the story? Do we believe that? And then can we enter into that? How does that mix with other perspectives? And where does the Muslim story fit with all this deal? What is the actual story? What is the story? Because that's what I want to be a part of. Is this the true story or is there something else? That's my version of John's question. John says, are you the one or should we expect somebody else? Well, my question is, is this the true story or is there something else? Is Jesus the one who is the center of this whole story or is there some other story? What's your faith-driving question? What's the thing that kept you up at night when you were seven years old? What's your faith-driving question? Perhaps based on the assumptions that you bring with regard to God and human existence. Well, Jesus answers this question in the next verse. Verse 21, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. My guess is that these two uh, uh, disciples of John, after they got this, uh, they were probably halfway back to returning to John before they realized, oh, he didn't answer the question. I hate it when he does that. 
But see, you got to uh, um, give Jesus some credit, however, because he does answer the question specifically just a few chapters prior to this. In a monumental section in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, uh, before it's revealed who he is, in Luke chapter 4, he stands up as a, as a shepherd, as a rabbi, and he reads from the ancient text of Isaiah. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he reads, he opens the scroll of Isaiah and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Boom. And if you're familiar with the story from then on, they are, they are struggling with this, and they try to kill him. What he's saying before all of them is he says, I am the one. He answers the question, are you the one? He says in Luke chapter 4, in no uncertain terms, I am the one. Let me go back to chapter 7. Let me reread his answer to John's disciples. He says, go back and see what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Does that sound familiar? That's basically what is, was said in the book of Isaiah, what, what Jesus read from there in Luke chapter 4. This was kind of the proclamation of the Messiah. This is, these are kind of the words of what, what would happen when the Messiah comes. But there's one thing that is missing in chapter 7 that was in chapter 4. Freedom for the prisoner. Freedom for the prisoner is kind of a typical part of that's what the Messiah does. And that's mentioned in chapter 4. But here when Jesus is saying to John's disciples, go back and tell him what you've seen. And he, he omits the part about setting the prisoner free. In this message that is sent to the prisoner, John. And one might assume that this is one way of Jesus saying to John, I'm the one you're not going to leave prison. And that's the story. John never leaves that prison. His head gets cut off by King Herod. So what do we do when we're trying to be faithful, when we're trying to lean into this God and trust this God and things don't work out the way we want them to work out? And it doesn't go the way we hoped it would go. How are we supposed to handle that? How are we supposed to respond to that? He didn't get free. What happens if we're earnest in our spiritual efforts, but we find we're getting nothing out of our D group, we're getting nothing out of our quiet times for a period of time? Maybe you're getting nothing out of your job. Maybe you're getting nothing out of your marriage. What are we supposed to do with our faith when things aren't going our way? I think it comes down to the core question. What is your faith-driving question? Is your faith-driving question, Jesus, are you the one? Regardless of my circumstances, are you the one? Is this the story? 
Or is your faith driving question, what is the journey that I could take that I will benefit from the most? That's a, that's a, reason, that's a reasonable driving question. And just be honest with yourself. If that's your question, what is the faith journey I could take from which I would benefit the most? If that's your question, Jesus may not be the answer in the short term. He wasn't for John. If that was his question, his question was different. Jesus, are you the one? Regardless of my circumstances, are you the one? I want to I take one, one, one more angle on this little story, and then we're done. One more little angle on John's question, are you the one, and Jesus' answer. And this angle has to do with those who are followers of Christ, who have a desire to share that story with others. You have a desire to want to invite others into that story and let other people know about the life-changing truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus says to, to the messengers from John, he says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. See, the thing about evangelism or about sharing our faith is not having all the answers. It's not being able to explain logically with, with impenetrable accuracy why Jesus is the one. He says the most powerful thing you can do when you're sharing your story, your faith, you tell others what you have seen and heard. That, that's, what, that's what the most powerful part is. We have uh, what we call our seven sonawats. They're listed in your program, and they're our discipleship grid, uh, A through G. And they're not linear, and you can kind of jump in on whatever your heart, uh, you feel like your heart is in need of. And letter E of our discipleship journey, Sanawats, is extend beyond yourself. In other words, this story doesn't just stop with you. How can you extend that, share that with others? And the way we do that, again, is not to have all the answers, but to share our story, to share your experience, to share what you have seen and heard. See, people are not that interested in what you know or what you have all figured out. They're interested in what you've experienced. They want to know what you've seen, what you've heard, how your lives have been transformed by the power of God. What happened to you? Don't tell me what you, what you understood in some book somewhere. What happened to you? I, that's what I want to know. So if you are interested in sharing your faith and this question stumps you, what have you seen and heard? Then you probably ought to look into that. If you can't think of something that you've seen and heard in terms of your spirituality, maybe you don't have something to share right now. And just be honest about that. And don't pretend that you, that you do have some grand thing that's going on that isn't there. What have you seen and heard? Really, what has happened in your life? And if you want to have something that you can share with somebody about what you've seen and heard, if you want to know what to share with somebody about what you've seen and heard, then look and listen. Look and listen. Look for ways that Jesus has been moving in your life. 
Look for ways that Jesus has, has moved the pieces of, of, the, of the chess game, has assembled some things, and look back and go, I didn't know that was as significant to me as, as, as I do now because I see, I look and I see that Jesus was involved in that. Listen to the stories of those around you of, of ways, small and large, that God has been a part of their story. See, we can go through life and have great days and at the end of great days think, man, I, I'm good. I'm, I reached heights of awesomeness today. And we can walk away from those days and those days will be forgettable. But if we look and listen and see God in those days, if we journal it, if we write it down, we process it with others, then we have something to share later on down the road and say, here's what I've seen and what I've heard. Hopefully at the end of this year, as we take a journey with Jesus this year, there'll be things at the end of this year where you'll be able to say, I've seen and heard stuff and it's impacted my faith. The 12 disciples at the, uh, uh, during the writing of the Gospels, they weren't 100% sure that Jesus was the one, I don't think. They weren't 100% sure until he resurrected from the dead. That's when they moved from, I think he's the one, to I'll die for him. That's when they made that move. I think he's the one. I really do. I really think he's the one. I'll give my life for the fact that he's the one. So where are you? Are you on the I'm not sure place? Or the I think he's the one. I really do. Or are you in the place of I'd give my life for it? Where are you? Wherever you are in this spectrum, what would it take? What would you have to see or hear in order to nudge one step closer to where the disciples landed? I'd give my life for it. What would it take? What would that take? Next week, we're going to revisit this one of the 12 thing, and we're going to give each person an opportunity to decide this year, are you going to be one of the 12? We're going to wrap up decision. That's the first section here. We're going to wrap it up next week and give all of us an opportunity to really go after that. And uh, I, I hope you'll come and join us for that. It's going to be great. I don't want you to miss it. But this week, as you prep for it, look at your story. Look at your driving question. What have you seen and heard that will drive you towards a greater understanding of who Jesus is? We're going to wrap up our celebration today and give you an opportunity to respond. And there are a number of uh, areas in the room here. You can come to the cross, write something on a red card, nail it to the cross, and leave it here. You can come up for prayer in the front. You can come light a candle. Um, you can uh, be anointed with oil over here to the right. There are folks who would love to assist you with uh, prayer. We had a prayer experience uh, here this weekend. It's still actually going on today. And folks would be extra excited to pray with you on either of those uh, doors. There's community in the back where you can sit where you are and just contemplate on what you've seen and heard. What is your faith driving question? Let's pray. Father God, we want to reflect here in this moment on what we have seen and heard in the lives of those we trust and in our own life. God, may these next few moments be a way for you to, for you to stir up in us what we really believe about whether or not you are the one. Come and meet us in this place here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.